He's so good. Well, I want to go ahead and jump right back into our series that we've been walking through for the past six weeks. This would actually be the seventh installment of this series that we've titled, You Are Known. You Are Known. You Are Known, Known, Known. Uh, and, and it's known by him that he knows who you are. He knows everything about your life, and he wants you to get to know him. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why you're here today. I hope that's one of the reasons why you're here today is so that you can take a step in your relationship of getting to know our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to jump in with me and turn with me to Genesis chapter 35. And we're going to continue in our story through the life of Jacob and see where we can find some principles to apply to our own life. And at the same time, find our way to Jesus, even through Jacob's story. Genesis chapter 35. When you get there, say, I'm there. I'm there. It's the first book in the Bible. And it's where we're getting to meet some of these amazing people in the book of Genesis. This is where we were introduced to a a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob, because names are valuable, especially in this culture a person would be named after something that would represent their identity. And so Jacob was named Jacob because he was clutching at the heel of his brother Esau. So he was trying to get ahead. He wanted to be the firstborn. He wanted to be the firstborn so bad that he would end up deceiving his brother for his firstborn right for a bowl of soup. It's the worst trade in the history of the world. He would then go on and deceive his father uh, and pretend to be somebody who he was not. And we talked about that on week three, that God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. He blesses who you really are when you come into a relationship with Jesus. We went from there to see Jacob go on the run as his brother Esau, this skillful hunter, said, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob ran and fled for his life. He ended up at his uncle Laban's house. And Uncle Laban was a bigger deceiver than Jacob, and he began to deceive Jacob for his daughters, and he deceived them for working wages, and his wage would be the the privilege to marry his daughter, but he ended up deceiving Jacob, and Jacob married both of his daughters, Rachel and Leah, and through two maidservants in between, and it made for a whole lot of mess. So Jacob married two women, had kids with two other women, and found himself in in a struggle. With 11 total kids, he made his way back home after 20 years of being on the run. While he was on the run, God met him there on the run. And I want to just camp out there just for a second, just so you know, if you feel like you're running from God and you stumbled into Walk Church this morning, just know that God will meet you on the run. Praise God for that, amen? God decides to meet Jacob through the form of his son Jesus, steps down, and has this wrestling match in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. We see, we see the, the God man step down and have this wrestling match with Jacob. And in doing so, he touches his hip, paralyzes him, and then changes his name and his identity to Israel. Israel means prince of God. And so God looks at Jacob and he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Your name now will be Israel, for the nations will come from you. And you'll be a new creation. And every time you forget it, just remember your hip that's out of place. Because sometimes it's in brokenness that God actually brings us to a new place. Amen? 
It's in our struggle. It's in our, it's in our struggle, not just in our success, that God gets our attention. I promise you, my greatest moments of God dependence is not when I'm on cloud nine winning. It's when I'm struggling. I say, Jesus, I need you to show up. And maybe you're in that place. You're in a, a Jesus, I need you to show up phase. Kind of like Peter when he began walking on water and he thought he had it figured out until he began to sink. And then he said, Jesus, save me. Immediately, he grabbed his hand. I love that right there. Immediately, Jesus said, I'm not going to let you down, Right? I got you, but don't, don't lose focus on me. Don't lose focus on the cornerstone, the only king forever. We've been singing about this reality this morning. And so what happens is, right, Jacob gets touched by God. He makes his way back home. He's got this new identity. And the first thing that happens when he's a new creation is he runs into his brother Esau, who he's been scared of for the past 20 years. Esau has 400 men with him. We heard about it last week. Esau is a skillful hunter. He's a hairy man and his skin is red, that's all we know about him, all right? It sounds like a creature from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? And so he sees him, and Jacob says, first off, I'm sorry, brother. He doesn't even call him brother. Sorry, I'm your servant. Uh, take my gift. And Esau embraces him, kisses his neck, and hugs him, and they have a moment of reconciliation, a moment of weeping, a moment of togetherness, so much so that Esau says, please, don't even give me a gift. I just wanted you. I wanted a, a new relationship, but sometimes in humility, it requires receiving as well. And Esau said, you know what? I'll receive the gift since you've asked. And there was a reconciliation moment. Last week, we talked about the power of reconciliation, the power about not just going to your brother or sister to make things right, but gaining your brother or sister when you make them right. A friend of mine, a brother in Christ who, who I met with this week, he, he just approached me about an hour, just a few minutes before the service and said, hey, I took your advice. I went to a brother who I had an issue with. I was scared to death, but I shared my heart with him, and we had a gain moment. We had a gain moment. I said, man, way to apply the word. There's so much power when you don't just be hearers of the word, but you be doers of the word as well. And so now we go into another component, another chapter in the life of Jacob, or should we say in the life of Israel, and we get to learn a little bit more. So let's go ahead and read the first four verses of Genesis chapter 35. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Ready. So God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Verse 3, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. How cool is that, that God has been with him wherever he's went? Jacob is a whole lot of mess. He is the definition of bad decisions, and God has been with him wherever he's gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree that was near Shechem, the word of the Lord. Genesis 35 Specifically looking at verses 1 through 4. The message that I want to preach today that I feel like God has laid on my heart is simply this. It's a message of getting back to the basics. Get back to the basics. 
get back to the basics. Can you just preach the title of my message to the person next to you and say, hey, get back to the basics. Get back to the, even if you never met them before, just teach it to them. Get back to the basics. All right, just get back to the, can you preach it to me? Can you tell me? All right, I'm going to get right back to it right now. Okay, Genesis chapter 35. Let's look at it right here. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and, and dwell there. I, I like this right here because sometimes when I'm reading through the Bible, especially when I'm preparing to preach, I'll sense God give me a word for somebody. And I don't know who it's for, but it's always coming from his word. We would call it even a prophetic word especially if it's from his word. And here we see this right here. Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. I, I like the CSB translation a little bit better. God said to Jacob, get up. Go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. The, the two words that I love about this is he says, get up. For somebody here in the room... Not, not, not actually right now, but spiritually, get up and do something. Maybe you've been paralyzed in your faith. And one of the biggest things that, that tend to frustrate me is when people talk about how they're paralyzed and they blame other people for it. They say, you know what, I fell into sin because nobody held me accountable. So you just blamed your decision on somebody else. Okay, or you know what, I, I, I didn't feel like coming to church because no one called to wake me up. Get up! <laughs> right? Or you know, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping today. Sometimes you got to move past your feelings and you just got to get up. I don't know what was going on in Jacob's life here. Maybe he got into a place of complacency. But he needed God to come alongside him and say, hey, Jacob, yeah, get up. I got a plan for you. I have a calling for you. I have a purpose for your life. And God in his grace doesn't leave us in our past. He calls us to get up, to take us to our destiny, into a new place. Maybe this word is for somebody here. At the intro of the message, God would speak to you and he would tell you to get up. Next thing he says, he says, arise, go up to Bethel. Let's look at it right here in the ESV translation. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And he gives them further instruction. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you. Now, this is interesting right here. This, this wouldn't surprise me if for some of you scratching your head right now would say, did we miss that part in the story? Because even when I just gave you a journey of where we came from, the recap, there's a special moment in Jacob's life that we never touched on because I wanted to touch on it later in the story, which is right here. So now we're here. If you circle back to Genesis chapter 28, right? So I mean, a whole seven chapters before God touched his hip, before he ever met Rachel, before he ever met Leah, before any of that stuff ever even happened. This is 30 years ago. Seven chapters, but 30 years prior, Jacob had a moment. 
I want us to look at it together. It's in Genesis chapter 28. And this is right after he deceived his dad. He deceived his brother. Esau said, I'm going to kill you. Jacob's mom heard that, Rebecca, and she said, you better run now. Jacob didn't have anything even to pack up. He just left to a journey of an unknown place, and that's where we pick it up. Are you guys, are you tracking with me? If you're tracking, say, give me a head nod. Okay, verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba. He left his family. He left his comfort. He left his belongings, and he's on the move, and he went toward Haran. Verse 11. He came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. Really quick right there, that shows us that the brother didn't have any belongings. Like you would have thought that at least he would have maybe grabbed a pillow and was like, all right, I got to go, I got to run, I'm going to grab a pillow, a sleeping bag, something. He's got nothing. He doesn't have even like, maybe I'll put like this extra shirt and use it as like a pillow. He's like, I got nothing, I'm going to use, who uses a stone for a pillow? Right? Like, that's all bad. I mean, this is common, common commentary right here. Sun had set. Jacob's tired. He doesn't know where he's at. He finds a stone. He lays it under his head, and he goes to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. How cool is it that God took us into the dream? Right? We get to have a VIP tour into Jacob's dream. There's a ladder on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, your father, right? The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What a calling. What a dream. Verse 15, behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. We'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let me just highlight verse 15 for a second because this is remarkable. And not only is it remarkable, but this sounds a whole lot like what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, doesn't it? Never will I leave you nor forsake you. I will come back to get you. Jacob, behold, I'm with you. If you just get four verses, four words out of the sermon today, I think you'll still do well. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, and we'll keep you wherever you go. We'll bring you back to this land. Now, what a promise, right? Look at God in his sovereignty. God in his omnipotent knowledge says, you know what? I'm already seeing 30 years ahead of your life, Jacob. I'm going to bring you back here in Genesis 35. But we got to go through a whole lot of stuff in order to get you to the place you need to get to. Right now in Genesis 28, you're not ready for this calling. Doesn't mean that God won't still give you the calling. I love how in, in, in the book of 1 Samuel, God said, David, you'll be the king. You're not the king today, but one day you'll be the king of Israel. You got to go through a whole lot to get there. 
but it's going to happen. We see this calling on Jacob's life. I'm going to bring you back to this land. God is a keeper of his promise. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And you know what Jacob said? I love this right here. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Sometimes when you're in a place that's unknown, the Lord is there. Sometimes you'll be in a place and you'll be like, man, I didn't even know God even showed up here. Maybe, you, maybe you, you're here this morning and you're like, man, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't even know it. I just came. Someone brought me. I found an invitation. I hear some amazing stories about people that come and walk through these doors. And I hope that you feel valued because, man, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you bef- long before you even thought about coming this morning. We've been praying for you. And you're here today. And maybe you're like, man, I didn't even know it. But God is in this place. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the first reference to the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven, verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. He said, I'm going to call this the house of God, this ordinary outdoor site on this journey toward Haran. But the name of the city was Luz at first. We just get a little extra detail, like Jacob just changed the name of the city. Luz. Verse 20, then Jacob made a a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread and and, and to eat and clothing to wear, 21, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Before we continue on, I love that right there. He says, Jacob closes his prayer. He says, I'll give a full tenth to you. Jacob's like, I want to, God, you blessed me. I want to tithe. Do y'all see that? How about Jacob following his his grandfather, Abraham? Abraham tithed. And now we see Jacob recognize, you know what? I got nothing, Lord. I got, I don't even know what tenth I could give, but I'm going to give it anyway. Jacob says, you know what? You've met me here. You've blessed me here. You've given me a dream and a vision. Sometimes a dream and a vision can go a whole lot longer than any just physical resources. If you've got a dream, keep that thing. If you have a vision that God has given you, test it by the Bible, of course, but hold on to that thing. I was, uh, had the, jo- the joy of assessing church planners this past week. Five new church planners were assessed here in Las Vegas. I host that assessment. And here's what we told the, the, the church planners. Don't just come up and tell us about statistics. Tell us your dream for your city. Tell us the vision that God's given you to start a new church. That's what we want to hear because God blesses his dream, blesses his vision that he puts on a man's heart. And I love what Jacob says. He goes, man, I got to tithe. I want to take a tenth of everything I have, and I just want to bless it back to you. And I want to encourage you, if you don't live by that principle of generosity, to start doing that. If, or if maybe you're not ready to, start working your way toward it. I know my wife and I, we started tithing several years ago, and we, we realized that it wasn't a burden, it was a blessing. To be able to take the first tenth of all that God gave us and to give it back to him, it became a principle for our lives. I tithe off birthday money. I tithe if someone gives, you know, hey, man, pastor, I want to bless you with a $5 bill. I'm, like, taking the first tenth out of that out of nowhere. Not that that ever really happens, but I just thought it would be cool, like, if it did happen. 
but you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but you know what? I, I, I tithe off everything that I get because I just, I, it's the principle in me. It's a joy to do it. And what we're doing when we do that is we're saying, what Jacob's saying is, wow, God, I've stole the blessing. I've stole the birthright. You're still with me. I'm going to give it all back. Everything you've given me, God's giving you the job that you have. God's giving you the resources that you have. And what you're doing is by taking a tithe of it, you're saying, God, I'll never outgive you. I'm going to give it back. That's cool. Hey, there's like two people over there clapping. I'm a, it's, a, it's powerful. Let's continue reading and let's jump back into Genesis 35. So now we're fast forwarding 30 years. Jacob had that moment. The stone became a pillar. And he says, man, that was a moment. God is in this place. I'm going to call it Bethel. I'm going to call this the house of God. And I'm going to put a pillar to remember this Bethel moment. Surely the Lord's in this place. And God said, I'm going to bring you back here. Now I wonder... Let's just be real here. I wonder if Jacob ever had this moment while he was laying there with his two wives and two maidservants and 11 kids screaming, if he ever wondered, was that dream, was I dreaming that dream? Was that real? It's been 30 years, Lord. When are you going to bring me back to Bethel? When am I going to have a dream again? When am I going to see the ladder again? This has been really hard. The struggle is real. Finally, we make it to Genesis 35. God in his perfect timing says to Jacob, get up, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you. Here's the first point of the message today. When I talk about getting back to the basics, getting back to the basics, the first point that I want you to write down is this, move from pillars to altars. Move from the pillars in your life to altars in your life. God has clear instruction here for Jacob. Here's the instruction. Go back to Bethel and build an altar to worship me. Now, originally, the calling on Jacob's life was to build a pillar. Right? Jacob, you know, he has this moment. He wakes up from the dream and he makes a pillar. I don't know if you know what a pillar is. But let me give you a definition for the word pillar. Reading from BibleStudyTools.com, they have a, a good definition of a variety of different biblical words. This word pillar is known as a place, a monument, a trophy of victory. And so what, what Jacob does is he grabs his stone and he props it up somewhere and he says, man, this is my trophy. This is my place of victory. This is my place where... I'm going to build a monument. Has anybody ever seen monuments before? Like monuments in museums. Like you walk and you'll see a statue of an ancient place. I was in the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago. They had several monuments. They were amazing. They were cool to look at. They were cool to observe. But they weren't necessarily things that I needed to worship. Does that make sense? Like I, I, didn't, I didn't see this big old stone that was 1,500 years old. And I said, oh, wow. Bow down to the stone. It's not what we're doing here. It was like, man, that was cool. That was a cool moment right there. That's a good monument. But I think what God wants us to do is move past our monuments and move to altars. Notice the, the original thing Jacob did was build a pillar. This time he builds an altar. Let, let me go ahead and give you a definition of what an altar is. Place where the divine and human worlds interact. Altars were places of exchange. 
communication, influence. God responded actively to altar activity. The altar, as Brother Jason shared, is a place where we come to sacrifice. And our sacrifice is a representative of our worship. Last week, we talked about what the ESV study Bible says about altars. It says it like this. This is the first altar mentioned in connection with Jacob. It signals his commitment to worship. His commitment to say, God, you are God. I love the song we just sang. God, you're the king of my heart. You're the fire inside my veins. You're the Lord of my life. And right here, what happens in Jacob's life is he says, you know what? I got to stop everything I'm doing. When I get back to Bethel, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to make an altar. Well, let's look at it in Genesis 35. I want us to see it right here. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So God being very specific, God never forgets, right? Just say that with me. Say, God never forgets. When you fled from your brother Esau, he says, I, I, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. He says, when you fled from your brother Esau, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves, change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar. Again, let's, let's look at that. So that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. This morning, I want to encourage you to worship God. I want to I encourage you to dive into a deeper level of worship. And it's not just singing. But maybe God would put you in a place where you're like, you know what, I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to sing out with my voice. Or maybe God says, you know what, I'm going to actually tithe and I'm going to give generously. And that's going to be my worship. Or maybe you're going to stay after today and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to put a whole rack of chairs away. And that's going to be... Uh, if this isn't just a worship service, my service will be my worship, right? Or maybe you'll say, you know what? I'm going to join a charge group because I want to worship the Lord. Or I'm going to serve in the kids' ministry because I want to worship the Lord. What happened here is he recognized God has been with me all along, and I think that's true for each and every one of you. Regardless of, of how you came into this room today, the Lord is with you. I believe that. I believe that, that, that you are never too far gone, that you're never so distant, that the, the, the truths of Scripture where it says that God desires for all men to be saved is here today. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. And we see this in Jacob's life. The God who answers me in the day of my distress has been with me wherever I have gone. And so what he says is, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to make a move. Sometimes you got to make a move, church family. And what I would encourage you today is make your next move your best move, right? Make your next move your best move by saying, it's no longer a time for a pillar. I'm going to turn my pillar into an altar. The place that, you know what, I thought was just a monument is actually a place where I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to worship the, the monument. I'm going to worship the God who was with me when I built it. <laughs> Amen. Let me give you the second point of the message today, getting back to the basics. Move from pillars to altars, move idols out of your life. Move idols out of your life. Get out. Genesis chapter 35, we're looking at verse 1 through 4 here. God said to Jacob, 
Get up, arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And now he gives very clear instruction. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go. Jacob says, before we're going to go ahead and have authentic worship, pure worship, undefiled worship, organic worship, right? This is like clean worship right here. Pure. So we got to get these idols out of our lives. I like what it says in the NLT translation. Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all of your pagan idols. He looks at Rachel. He looks at Leah. He looks at Bilhah. He looks at Zilpah. And he looks at all 11 kids. And he says, all that idol worship is done. God spoke to me. And I'm going to go get back to the basics. I'm going to get back to the heart of worship. I'm going to get back to a place where I'm going to worship God without having to hold on to my idol as well. I'm going to worship God freely without having to be distracted with my own sin. I'm going to worship God, and I'm going to leave all the idols behind. Now, maybe you would ask today, well, what's an idol in 2018? Like, do we have pagan idols like they had? Are we talking about little, you know, religious statues, or are we looking at, you know, things that we have to, like shrines of worship? I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I love how Timothy Keller defines what an idol is. We'd encourage you to take a picture of this if you want to revisit it. We'll also post it on our social media. What is an idol? Read this off the screen with me. Ready? One, two, three. It is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Jacob says to all his family, I want you to remove the idols out of your life. Well, Dad, what, what idols are you talking about? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. I don't know what those things are in your life, but if it's something that is, is consuming you more than Jesus Christ, here's a message for you from Genesis 35. Put that away. Move them out of your life so that you can worship freely. Getting back to the basics. Getting back to the basics of worship. Getting back to the basics of having a heart for God himself. I don't know about you, but I've had idols in my life for a long time. And some of y'all have heard me share my story before, but my idol was a brown, orange, bouncing ball. It's called basketball. And I said, you know what? I'm going to worship God. As long as we win the game and I, and I score enough points. Got to remove that idol out of my life. Some of you would say, hey, you know what? As long as my relationship with my girl is good, I'm going to keep coming to church. But the minute that gets rocky, I'm gone. Here's the word for you today. Remove the idol from your life. Or actually what you may need to do is talk to your idol and say, you were functioning as my idol, but you can't be my idol anymore. You can no longer be my savior because anything outside of Jesus is a really bad savior. We don't have functional saviors. 
It's Christ and Christ alone, amen? He's the cornerstone. It's not the cornerstone plus idols. It's just Christ alone. I like how the reformer Martin Luther once said it. He said it like this. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. Whatever your heart, even you could be in here today, and all you're thinking about is work. All you're thinking about is your job. All you're thinking about is a green piece of paper. All you're thinking about is your grade and your GPA. And be careful to not turn good things into God things. You could take things that were meant to just be good and really quick turn them into a God. We see this happen all the time in our culture. You could turn a, a plastic cup with a little green mermaid on it into an idol. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You could turn a sport into an idol. I, I'll tell you what, can I just be, can I keep it 100 with y'all? I've had two conversations that have went like this. Pastor, I love you, bro. I'm going to see you in a couple months. Football season started. <laughs> You're probably missing the most important message, which is this. Put away your idols. No wonder you can't worship God. No wonder your worship seems fabricated. No wonder your worship seems inauthentic or disgenuine or it feels like your worship stops at the ceiling. Because your heart really is on the TV screen. I know I'm talking about some touchy stuff. I've been there before. I've lived there before. And praise God that in his grace, he's given us devices where you can record. This isn't even hard. God is like, look, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you all out. You, um, you, got, you got your functional saviors. I'm going to even help you out. I'm going to create somebody that has a brain to think about doing something where you can record it and watch it later. Wow. So you can have your, your, your church cake and eat it too, right? You can, you, you can be watching the game, thinking about what Pastor Hyden said. And maybe your idol will become Jesus. And then you'll say, you know what? I'm not even as concerned. I'm not even as concerned anymore. My passion is different. My heart has been changed. Trust me, I'm not devaluing sports at all. I'm, I am a sports lover. One of our favorite ministries here at Walk Church is FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We support that ministry left and right because we believe in what God is doing through sports. Yet, when sports becomes an idol, you got to get it out of the way. You'll be the best athlete you could be when Jesus becomes your Savior and not your sport. Because when you get to heaven, your sport can't save you. Check this out. I once heard this. This is challenging right here. This is challenging stuff. But this will be specific to the married couples. In the room. I say this. One day, either you or your spouse will have to see you in a casket. Now, this is hard stuff to even imagine. But on that day... What will either happen is you'll die with your idol or you'll be able to say, you know what, God, you've been good to me. You've blessed me with my spouse and I have to continue living out of my relationship with you and one day I'll see them again, hopefully. But too often people die with their, their idol. I can't even live anymore. And I'm not taking away from those real spiritual feelings, but we take good things and make them God things. I remember watching a football movie. Um, it was called Friday Night Lights. I still remember this Booby Miles moment. Have you guys ever seen Friday Night Lights? It's an assignment for you. But Booby Miles, right? 
This character in the movie, he was doing amazing. He was the all-star running back. He had letters and scholarship offers from all around the country until his knee blew out, and they gave him the word in the doctor's office. And they said, you'll never be able to run again like you need to to play football. And I remember him going into his car, and his uncle picked him up, and he weeped and weeped and weeped. And understandably, that type of news would require weeping. But what he said was staggering. He said, What's my life without football? In other words, what he's saying is, I only have one savior. It's a, it's a piece of pigskin. And what you need to recognize is, if you have other things that your heart's clinging to more than Jesus, you got to take that to God in prayer and say, Lord, I just want to be honest with you. I want to build an altar. I have idols in my life. Help me to remove them. Help me to take the steps to get them out of the way, whatever that may be. Even for them, they had earrings on. Now, their earrings could have been sacrificial things to false pagan gods, or maybe they just really valued their earrings. Like, my earrings are better than yours. Like, I got a bigger diamond in my earring than you, right? And it became an idol. And so here we see Jacob instruct his children and his wives, his wives, Put away the idols. And idols sometimes will get violent. Idols won't let you put them away. Idols will clinch and grasp and squeeze your heart all the more. And it's going to take the cross. It's going to take you surrendering your life. It's going to take yourself dying on the cross with Jesus. I love Jesus' calling. In Luke chapter 9, he says, if you want to follow me, one, deny yourself Can I tell you something? Can I just give you a word? God never calls us to love ourselves. There's this false phenomenon that, you know, i got to have self-love. God never calls you to love yourself. God never calls you to celebrate yourself. God never calls you to really champion yourself. He calls us to deny ourselves. Some of you, your idol is yourself. Right? Which is why there's 3.5 million selfies posted a day. People are taking selfies at church, at the snack table, I'm at growth track, I'm at baptism. People are like, I want to see the baptism, not you. The idol is ourselves. Jesus was like, I got to address the idol. First, you got to deny yourself because yourself may crave the club. Yourself may, may crave drunkenness. Yourself may crave getting high and smoking weed. Your, your, yourself may crave different things, right? But I want to encourage you today that maybe you need to deny yourself, right? I'm not trying to just point out different sins. I'm just trying to say there's different idols. And you got to examine what are idols in your life. Uh, John Calvin once said our hearts are idol factories, just pumping out idols, pumping out idols, That's why our hearts need to be changed. And Jacob says, hey, look, if we're going to get back to the basics, we got to just crush the idols. John Piper says it like this. He goes like this. He says, "Your, your attachment to your possessions needs to be replaced by your attachment to Jesus. We once saw in the New Testament this moment where there was this rich young ruler And he approached Jesus. Do you guys know the question that he asked Jesus? He approached Jesus. Jesus. It actually says he bowed. 
what must I do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, you got to smash the idols. You got to get rid of the idols. You know what Jacob did? And he said, what do you mean idols? I got every, I did everything. I've been to church. I've done all of the, all the stuff. And Jesus says, I know, but your possessions are your God. So give away your possessions and come follow me. Now, this was specific toward this man's life. Let, the, let go of the possessions and follow me. And it says that the man couldn't do it. He went away sad. I just hope that none of us go away sad today. That none of us go, go away sad, but we go away content in Jesus. James chapter 4 says it like this. Watch this with me, and we're almost done. It says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Notice how the same teaching is given to the New Testament church that was given to Jacob thousands of years before. Jacob looks at his family. He says, hey, wash your hands, purify your hearts, throw away idols, and come close to God. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Maybe it's a loyalty thing for you. And I just want to encourage you. I'm not, I'm not doing my job as a pastor of this church if I don't tell you the truth these things will keep you from joy, will rob you of life and fulfillment. Get back to the basics. Let's go ahead and let, make our way to the closing here. It says, so Jacob, as we finish up Genesis 35, so Jacob said to his household, to all who were with him, put away from the gods that are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments, then let us arise and go up there. It says, go up to Bethel, the house of God, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they, they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. They said, here's all the idols. And the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them underneath the tree that was near Shechem. He just said, you know what? I'm going to bury these. Bury the idols. Identify the idols, give up the idols, and bury the idols. Because God's moving you to a new place. And he's saying, you need to bury those idols. As we continue to read, we'll finish up here. Let's continue to go into verse, uh, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. I want us to jump ahead. Let's jump over to verse 9. So God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I have given to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give to the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. He recalled it Bethel. Here's what I want us to finish with. This is the last point. If you're taking notes, make sure you write this one down because this is important. Move from pillars to altars. Move idols out of your life and move into your identity in Christ. Move into your identity in Christ. As we just look back at the verses we just covered, what he says in, in verse 9 is that your name is Jacob. Let's just go right back to verse 9. God, God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. Now, if you, let me make sure you guys have been tracking with me before we close. 
Is his name Jacob or not? No. No. Look at God. He's saying, why do you keep acting like Jacob? God's like, your name is Jacob. No. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. God had to do the same treatment, the same heart surgery that he did on him several chapters earlier. He had to do it to him again in Genesis 35. Sometimes you just need to be reminded of your true identity in Christ. You need to be reminded of who you are. It's called getting back to the basics. Getting back to the basics. Let me ask you, when you first got saved, for the people in the room that are saved, you might be able to relate to this. When you first got saved, what were the things that just motivated you? What were the things, come on, talk to me. What were the things that just had you so fired up? The, the word, grace, forgiveness. Anything else? Brothers and sisters, his name. Anything else? Family, freedom. I remember when I got saved, I got to this place where I said, I could be forgiven? I could be saved and set free and counted as righteous, even though I'm unrighteous, even though my past looks like Jacob's, I could no longer be counted as my past, but I could be Israel, I could have a new destiny, a new creation. Here's what he's saying to Jacob here. If you could just get back to what first motivated you, you'll be fine. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that Jesus saved you and he sets you free. The same things that were true when you first got saved are true today. You don't graduate from grace. You don't exhaust God's forgiveness. Jesus on the cross said it is finished and he meant it, didn't he? Some of us by our lives, we call God a liar. Some of us are like, you know what God, you didn't mean it when you said it's finished. I gotta work really hard to get you to say it's finished again. God doesn't change his message. He says your name, it's still Israel. I'm not taking back your name. But start acting like you're a new person. Move out from the idols, worship the Lord, and get back to the basics. The basics are what we just said, forgiveness, freedom, grace, mercy, unconditional love, brothers and sisters in Christ, not judging, not, not, not condemning, not, not tripping, not struggling, just walking in the freedom, denying yourself. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. You're a new person in Jesus' name. That's the message for you today. Get back to the basics and trust in him. Let's pray. Father God.